Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. It's another X-Men X Wednesday here, so we're going to be taking a look at all mutant titles, kicking things off with Jonathan Hickman's swan song to the X-Men, Inferno Number 4, before taking a look at Jerry Dugan's X-Men Unlimited X-Men Green. We have triple coverage of Inferno, taking a look at the final issue from all angles. The issue was brought by Jonathan Hickman on writing duties with Valerio Schiti and Stefano Caselli on art, David Curiel on color art with VCs Joe Sabino on letters, and Tom Muller on design round out the full creative cast. We hope you guys enjoy our coverage of this issue just as much as we enjoyed the two and a half years that brought us to this point. And don't forget, if you guys like what you hear, you'll probably even like what you see. So give us a subscribe over on Twitter at X is for Podcast. I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA at Twitter and Instagram. That Dazzler, like in the Age of Apocalypse. And I'm Dame Red Bento, aka Raven. You can find me all over the place. Come start a conversation, especially if you'd like a commission done. Yes, please do. Raven has really good art. Go commission her. Woo. And I <laughs> and I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P E A K. Ah, uh, like I have so many thoughts about this issue. It starts off we're in Terra Verde in the Orcus Node, the end of the line. It looks like we're set up for a big battle between Krima and Nimrod, the um, Orcus members, and Charles and Eric. And bam, you know what? <laughs> the Sentinels just fucking take. Orcus off the table. They're like, you mean so little to us, we're just gonna fucking destroy you. Right. What? Like, what were your thoughts when that happened? I was like, holy shit, this is this is some shit. Like, we are in for something wow. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of beautiful. It was nice because I always love it when Charles gets knocked down a peg. There are yeah. obviously some deep corners of Charles Xavier's psyche that maybe aren't as deep deep as he would like us to think that you're just like what the fuck dude like and you're the hope for mutant kind <laughs> Professor Xavier I, is a jerk okay Kate oh, has that is. right he is well he's and he's such a narcissist he is so self important it is just draining at times like Charlie no just just no before the Krakoan era, like he was always presented as the one, like he is, the, uh, he really thinks he's the only one who can accomplish the task of unification of humans and mutants. And like just the mm -hmm. hubris behind that, the man should have gone into politics because like that's some like presidential level hubris right there. <laughs> he always goes in with the mindset of, I am the only one that can fix this situation because I am so smart and I know everything. And it's like, dude, you, you barely know like 
like one quarter of the situation. And just because you're some mediocre looking white dude does not mean <laughs> that you have all the fixes for everything that's going on. Because clearly the machines are like, look, what you have not factored in is we hate the both of you equally. Humans suck. Mutants suck. Screw this entire noise. Machines are taking over. When you were talking about Charles not knowing a fourth of the uh, the situation, the only thing you think of, and he doesn't know a fourth <laughs> of the name of the Krakowins and his students either. He only knows a select handful and only calls upon them. He does not know everybody at his school. No, no, he doesn't. And I was memeing before, but uh, talking about how Charles does have a history of this self-aggrandizing hubris where he does think he has to not only fall on his sword, but also take the sword from the stone because he is he was for prophesized to do so. <laughs> it does lead him and Magneto into this situation where they didn't, they were so focused on this secret of Moira that they didn't realize they ran straight into a trap, which is very fascinating and uh, goes in line with Charles. Yeah, because if, if they had taken at least the council, which obviously at the end of the issue, the council knows, but if they had taken the council into their secret, like this battle could have gone so much differently and they might have actually had a chance to win and end the threat of Nimrod and uh, Karima at that point in time. But mm -hmm. because he thought that him as a telepath would be able to beat Sentinels, <laughs> like <laughs> that that he was the most important. And yeah, and, and Magneto, like let's not give him, he's not a slouch in any of the power department, but like just to have that additional backup from the rest of the council, especially throw some Kate Pride in, she could just walk through the fuckers and they'd be like, like, uh, it does not compute. Like, right? Like, and what, like, we don't ever get to see Exodus use his power set, really. And yeah, like, but like, I kind of don't want him to shine because he's a racist asshole. So, but like, yeah. Well, no, and I, and I get that, but he needs to at least be useful occasionally rather than just sit there. And I'm like, just like, look, I hate you, but you need to be of some sort of use because having him sit there otherwise is like why why just let a racist sit on your council board if he's not actually going to do any sort of work well he's busy reading the children's stories after Magneto <laughs> decided that he no longer wanted to do that job Exodus said oh I'll take that and maybe we should think about letting the racist talk to the children <laughs> right maybe he's going to tell some grand stories about his epic battles during the crusade ooh no <laughs> I just have to ask which ones and then I thought about it it's like does it matter he would make them up. It's so long ago, nobody else knows. <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, if 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 Charles didn't have the hubris that he does have, <laughs> this whole this whole arc this would have presented itself differently. Which is like kind of the fucking point Emma has at the end of it of the issue. But you know. How do we feel about specifically Mystique using Forge's inhibitor god to take Moira's power away? So, like, just a little background info for anybody who doesn't have that background info. You know, Mystique, as Raven Darkholm, worked closely with Val Cooper and Forge during that era. Mystique was actually the one who sent Storm after Rogue and gave her the location of where she was because Destiny had originally foretold that Rogue was going to be the one who was stripped of her abilities through the use of the gun and that Storm, if she sent her, Storm would save Rogue, but Storm would also lose her powers as well. So we've got that gun that Mystique has a long history of knowing about and knowing, you know, the ramifications of that gun. 
But with Mystique using that gun, we saw what happened to Storm. Storm eventually was able to reset her powers. Her powers eventually came back because, like Moira says, that gun is a clumsy instrument. Like, you know, it worked. It could work for right that minute. But how do we know that Moira being depowered now is going to be Moira being depowered forever? So, like, Mystique letting Moira go in the end could eventually lead to another reset of the timeline. I mean, possibly. But I mean, I think it would also have to be handled in, in later series. Because it, it, it would all depend on whether or not somebody would be willing to reactivate Moira's powers. Especially if they know that Moira's whole shtick is that she wants to make it so that mutants don't exist. And I don't think too many mutants would willingly help her if they knew that. Just oh. say, I mean, humans might help her. And we've already seen that she is more than willing to work with the most horrifying and treacherous of humankind. So I'm not fully aware of the long history about this gun. I just know that Forge makes a lot of bullshit sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) What's the box for? I just know the two mutants that we know it's been used on, and, and Mystique has used it in the past one. So the two mutants who it has been used on were Storm and then Wolfsbane, and both of their abilities reactivated at a later point in time. So it, it doesn't seem like this gun at this point is permanent unless Forge has made some uh, new changes, but it doesn't look like it because it doesn't look like it's integrated anything about Krakoa into the gun. So I, I assume this is still an older invention. But Emma, very specifically, this yeah. is like Emma's contribution. She gives Raven in the gut. So. She does. Yeah. Yeah. I for first and foremost, I do not think this is the last of seeing Moira. Second and second most, I hearing that makes me think that the Moira gene will activate and there might be a story where Moira will have to contemplate whether or not to reset the timeline herself. But at that point, what would Moira's next goal be? Because from the paths that Moira has chose, she would have to do something to take out Miss Destiny specifically first if you take yeah. out well and then by association you're going to have to take out raven because raven will not take that standing down or sitting oh. up <laughs> i wonder if she did reset the timeline if that would mean that the she would try how do you get the machines and mutants to work together because truly at the end of the day they have the exact same goal so i don't i they just seem to be really mad at each other and beefing and i don't really like become vegetarian you don't have you don't have to eat the beef like <laughs> you can wipe out humanity together and you could you know co- or you know everybody could coexist I don't know. It doesn't seem that difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't. But that's the whole thing with Moira. She, I think Moira is honestly a self-loathing mutant. Because oh my God, of, she's justice. Now I hate her. Ugh. Well, because her power is so, it's so shit. Honestly, her power is I can reincarnate when I die at the end of my life. I don't get any cool stuff in between. I don't get any like laser powers or flight or super strength. She doesn't get anything else she just gets this one shitty power and she looks like a human in between and i honestly think she is a bit of a self because who else with just you know a singular you know mutant power that does not interfere with the rest of your life like blending in to human society who else goes yeah i gotta cure this at the baby stage like that just sounds like somebody who's mad that they didn't get a cooler power set (laughs) i also could think it's possible because she 
herself. We, while Moira was told that she might only have 11, that was under the threat of destiny. Mm. If destiny wasn't a threat, would Moira be destined to just constantly repeat her life over and over again? And at that point, it makes you wonder, well, maybe then her mutant power or her mutant gift isn't much of a gift as much of a curse. And not talking Mm. about curse who then later went on to go run away with Nature Girl. Oh, oh boy, we're not talking about that. Let's not talk about that one. (laughs) La, 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 la. It would make sense if you didn't have a control. Because like if Moira had the choice of being able to reincarnate or not, and then you're like, okay, you know, after a certain point, after basically eternity of living the same life and the same path and choices and everything going on over and over again, you might say, maybe I'm done. But Moira didn't have didn't have that choice. But then it also, at that point, is, well, if that was just much a concern, just kill yourself and then that'd be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why is it the entire mutant world? I don't know. It does feel, Moira, I can definitely agree that Moira definitely has shame about her own mutant dumb. I just don't understand the goal of curing mutants because I don't know if that solves what Moira's trying to do or what is Moira trying to do. What is so, what is quote unquote curing mut- the X gene do? Truly, what does that actually solve? I honestly think she's trying to cure the X gene that so she doesn't have to live another lifetime. But she could have just, she, if that was her end result, like, she could have just accepted it and just been like, go ahead and kill me now. Like, like if, if her if her real goal was just to die and be dead, like, she she could have had that. Like, she could she could still have that right now, like, if she just wanted to offer herself. Like, but she, well, again, but it's, it's, this is self-delusion. She's a self-loathing mutant. So her, like, her whole shtick, her whole bag, her whole hang-up is that she is a mutant and that she is, you know, pretty much destined to repeat her lifetime over and over and over again. So I think she's on some level tricked herself into believing that she just wants to quote-unquote save mutants. She wants to cure them of being mutants. Well, that cure, especially if she can make it permanent, especially if she can make it permanent at the embryonic stage, that would pretty much 100% guarantee that she dies for good. Because even if somebody were like to try and bring back an embryonic form of her, well, if her cure has been spread across the world, like aerosolized or in the water or whatever, then there'd be no way for her to come back even as a fetus. So yeah, I, th- I honestly think it's, it is the depths of her psyche she has had to convince herself that she's doing this for good, but honestly, she's doing it for for, for kind of uh, deep-seated self-hatred, selfish reasons. Isn't that, though, why everybody, like all those herfs and everything, they do that, right? They've convinced themselves mm-hmm. that, you know, that they're for uh, wow it's going back to charles xavier they've convinced themselves that their way is the only way and they and they just will not you know understand or reason with anybody else and like anybody else's point of view is not accurate because they think that their way is the only way and wow okay that that's a really interesting that's a really good take on that wow well and i mean think of it this way the the similarities between turfs and why taggart like turfs despise you know what they do they they what, they don't they do yeah they 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 despise anything that is outside the norm anything that is that does not fit into their definition they have to have complete control over said definition and and honestly it shows up in in their own oh god 
it's just it's a giant psychological fuck sandwich honestly just it's so maddening because moira is doing the same thing whereas she only wants her version of this reality to work and that reality does not include people who are outside the spectrum of human and she's like we're an abomination we should not exist i can i can i can cure us i can make it so that we do not exist i'm like bitch that's that's a whole set of fucking issues right there just yeah. mm. i i just <sighs> this iteration of moira makes it it in, in a way, it makes sense for the story that they're trying to tell. I, it's really hard for me to gel with, like, my version of Moira that, you know, comes out of my love of 90s Excalibur comics where she was, like, Excalibur's den mother, right? And, like, even then she was really in on some shady shit because, like, you know, she knew about the Xavier protocols where, like, Haha, this is a way to kill all the mutants. But, like, you know, she didn't really, like, expunge the data. Like, she wasn't aware that Charles was making them, and she probably was now with this retcon. But, like, you know, like, she was, you know, she was horrified by all of this stuff, and she, she really cared about mutant kind. I guess you can, you know, sort of rectify it all by saying that was Gollum Moira at the time, you know? Like, we never really know when Gollum Moira really came in play. So, like, uh, it's just, it, it's so hard to rectify it, to really get my head around those two versions of the character being the same character. But they they are in a way and that's why it's hard to that's why it's hard for some people to totally see the depths of somebody's self-hatred especially with turf because they're like hey you know but this is a good person in other ways but they're like they're full of shit and they're like hateful but like you've got to see them as they truly are and that's who she truly is she's she's that self-hating mutant who doesn't want to give anybody a shot to be a mutant and she won't take that choice away from her mm -hmm. well i mean and she's been living for a thousand years now yeah. so i i give it to her that yeah everybody else has been living as a mutant or doing their thing for you know a life lifetime she's had 10 lifetimes so trying to rectify moira third life and moira 10th life that's about 700 years of doing the same shit and having it go sideways and you know trying desperately to get things to work and it not working so of course there's a, a certain amount of uh, of anger of resentment of, of the more negative emotions she didn't start off a horrible horrible person but she's ended up there and it's just that she's been compounding it daily for a thousand years <laughs> so yeah like like life three moira who's like look i just want to give mutants the choice to get the cure was one thing this is the i'm gonna cure them before they even happen moira okay yeah you've got full turf yeah, okay. <sighs> um yeah it's who it's up i want to take a minute and appreciate the art in this issue which is stunning like i love how between pages 19 of digital and page 21 of digital with the data page in between mystique transforms from her long-haired form to that really really sharp bob like that was beautifully beautifully done uh like everything art wise is just working for me in this issue we've got the beautiful coloring on destiny's outfit throughout the whole issue we've got you know the epicness of the battle between charles and er with, with charles and eric queen the sentinels we've got like it, like it just so works for me is there anything that really stands out as a favorite art moment from this doug ramsey <laughs> oh yeah doug ramsey saying uh sitting at that door and saying not today 
Space Raven, <laughs> Space Destiny. He really did pull a uh, a wolf and really said, "No, you will not be doing a barrel roll. You will not be." You know, I don't know any other Star Fox puns. Anyway, <laughs> more importantly, uh, that moment I think was probably my entire favorite because I still didn't understand quite how Doug was supposed to fit in any of this, and it's like, oh, Doug knew the entire time. Oh <laughs> it's like, my god, Doug yeah, really said, "Beautiful as fuck." Holy shit! Like, yeah. Doug really said he was like i'm a cop today <laughs> my favorite i guess instance of art would have to i don't know all of it i love all of it but especially yeah. the stuff with, like oh god i love warlock's kind of new look oh me too it's so, There's just, it's so it's cool something, it, i'm loving it and also bay you know me and bay i'm just like oh my god he's like it's okay you know i knew my wife is a beast what can i say i'm like <laughs> i love it so much page 38 of digital where you see up from the no place you see the face of Krakoa and you've got Doug and Bage yes. standing there. Oh, that is mm. all of this was it was so well done. It was so delicious. Just oh, the angles were I love the angles cuz they were very different. They weren't it's it's hard to explain. They weren't the stock and standard. You got every single freaking angle possible in this book. Hey folks, uh, Mark Dodo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. Hey guys, I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Drewsfer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. Hey guys, I'm Evelyn. I'm the Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. That's the word at comic underscore canary. And I'm Steven. You could find me on Twitter at Stephen of Wonder and on Facebook in the group House of Northstar. And I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me on Twitter at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L and at asleepatthewheel.com. And from now until November 8th, as progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate, and at joshwheel.org. I thought Inferno was a phenomenal storytelling. It, in my opinion, is it the second best thing we've got behind Hot Box? I'm not not sure i would argue like i think ooh, it's arguable oh come on who are you going to no, argue no, with no, no, this no, is no, come no, on no, 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 no. this is no no, no. No, stop. I think you can make an argument for Inferno 1 through 4 as a whole, right? I would, if I was comparing it to X of Swords, if I'm comparing it to the Hellfire Gala, if I'm comparing it to any of the other miniseries we would do, are there specific single stories or arcs in the other series and titles that we've gotten that have reached higher than this? I think the high point of the other lines have reached higher than this. I think, I think you are... In terms of as a whole story, the way Hoxpox was, I think you could make a case. Obviously, you're going to make a different case, so tell me how you feel, Arturo? Uh, I just, I think what Hickman pulled off here, first with Hoxpox and retconning Moira into not just a mutant, but one of the most or, or the most important mutant in, in history, uh, was a huge feat, right? Like, you, we can't, we, we've been living with that for a while. So it's, you know, it's the new normal. That's what you're used to or whatever. Well, or, or, it, or so it was. And it was just an incredible feat. For Hickman to tie this era off and close that loop, the Moira loop of it all, is a massive feat because there's another timeline where this could have wrapped up and it could have been the end of Krakoa, right? Which is kind of, 
I think what everybody was fearing and kind of, you know, the, the, the subversion of, of expectations. I think one of my favorite table setting things he did in the final issue was take the A-bomb off the table, oh, yeah. um, which was incredibly important because while I trust every single writer currently in the X bullpen to not set off the A-bomb, there are plenty of other writers in the world of comics circling around who could maybe come in in the future that I do not trust with that A-bomb. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like that's massive. The, the the other you know big thing that he pulls off I think here with Inferno is bringing back Destiny. Like this is a character that hasn't been in publication in over thirty years, and just a massively important iconic character brings her back. Mystique's wife. I mean, you know. Like, let's, let's not forget, that just happened a couple of issues ago. And it was the biggest thing that had happened in X-Men since Terraforming Wars. Like, with uh, X of Swords, there wasn't, like, comparing the two of them, this one was more dramatic and a lot of, like, uh, like political-wise, where that one was, like, fighting and, like, actual, well, you know, comedy and stuff like that. It was bigger in, like, that sense. That was, like, way more cinematic in that it was, like, a Lord of the Rings-esque kind of opus, whereas this one was, like, a, like, kind of one of those, like, uh, Oscar-winning kind of movies you know that's like a, a drama um so it's kind of weird to compare the two because they're kind of they are like it did stuff politically to change like the status quo a little bit whereas and like exoswords did that too but it was just on like a larger well, i scale. think one of the things that better serves this story and its instruction compared to exoswords is that it is accurate it is appropriately sized or yeah. oversized shoes was perfect yeah. perfect and this is one of the complaints that we had in a previous issues talking even about trial of magneto five issues was too much for trial of magneto there was not five issues of story in that right now thank god they didn't try to stretch that out to 21 but you know some of these stories have not necessarily been paced or stretched in the ways that best served what the writer was trying to tell us inferno here over four um deluxe sized issues was perfect I, there was not their moment it was tight from start to finish you were turning the pages there was nothing that first felt superfluous everything mattered um you know and again this is something that we typically get from hickman issue right when we're talking about issues as a whole we always know that when you get that hickman issue that hickman special or something that it's going to be a step up i mean the man is has demonstrated time and again in his you know big two is um comic work and his indie work to just just be a, a master of rap. Evelyn, what are your thoughts on Inferno as a whole and where it stands in the Krakoan era? I would tend to agree that four issues felt about right. I think too much or any issue further than that would have been too much. Um, but it felt like a good cohesive story and being able to bring back someone as powerful as Destiny, as well as taking out the atomic bomb that is Moira, being able to do that in a way that was really interesting and felt like it felt right versus just a cop out, which we have felt in other storylines. This felt very cohesive. And I like cohesive. I, I think that we, I think everybody, there's always been this kind of 
almost like an anxiety about about this story coming. Like the one of the great things that that Hickman did with Hoxpox was set up the end game of Nimrod and the Technarchy and the Phalanx, and he kind of made that like you know that that that's going to be our ultimate destination. And buckle up because if we get there, that might mean that it's you know we, we come to the to the end of things. And the fact that he was able to to do that to take us you know to this this confrontation with Orcus subvert our expectations surprise and delight kind of you know what what we were expecting what we were fearing and not just wrap up his involvement but he's left the franchise so much stronger than he found it and I, I mean I think that's like the, the, the you know the greatest uh, accomplishment or a, a creative can do in shared IP like this Hickman got all the toys back so you know other creators could play uh, and and he plays really well with others you know and we've seen the X office take on different permutations um, different books have come and gone and it's just consistently been a great group and and it seems to be even getting better like I, I loved I love the amount of diversity um, that's coming down the pipe now it's it, it speaks to it, it's almost like Inferno 4 is almost like a, an analogy for the X office where like I feel like Hickman's kind of like you know like kind of the, the old white guy like you know Charles and Eric in this situation where he's kind of like yeah he's still around but he's 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 taking a step back and uh letting others you know grab the wheel for a little bit no absolutely Mm -hmm. and by wrapping up kind of his story in a way that it can't exactly be butchered Like, not saying that someone's going to butcher it, but the fact that we have had people come in and then completely ignore things that have happened in the past, I like that this was a nice, neat... Book. And the good thing is, is this isn't, like, we, we'd all be needing some serious counseling right now if, you know, all of these reviews in March were for, and April were for, you know, creative teams that had not been in the X office during the Hickman era, needing some serious therapy at the moment, like, oh, good Lord, what's about to happen? But it's... It's, it's the whole team is continuing on forward. We saw Emma Frost be tired of these two assuming to be better than everyone else and having their secrets and playing their bullshit games while they continue to make the same stupid mistakes they always make. Because to be fair, technically, Eric made the same mistake he always makes, which is Charles asked him nicely and gave him the sad eyes while making the same mistake he always makes. And so Eric goes, God damn it, and does what Charles wants him to do, finally. And then they're all fucked again. Well, and Emma let's get to you know issue number four so emma, emma takes it emma takes it and emma emma's the queen of the quiet council now right like we're all on the same page with this right. but, oh, but yeah. i do love that she that she you know put cerebro back on on xavier's head like a party hat and she's like well, yeah sweetie but don't worry you're still the king so you know heavy is the head that wears and you know like good luck to you but like we all now know what's up i just love that emma's you know tertiary mutation is being the most pragmatic mutant on earth because if emma was around and and in charge of things like back in the day when the decimation happened the decimation might not have happened because emma sees as soon as she learns about moira the clear and present threat of moira she does what has to be done you know like depowering and and removing that threat is absolutely what had to be done and she didn't sit there you know equivocating about it and you know having this moral quandary and and doing all these lies and deceptions to keep you know her 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 morality and and her, her hands clean like no 
no, she did what had to be done. Oh, and it's a it's a 12 person quiet council. And now we have had over well, just in the last year, we have had her standing over the bodies of men who thought they were her betters, asserting her dominance of now Sebastian Shaw, Charles Xavier, and Eric and Magneto, three of the other members. Plus, Kate is Kate. Kate is her daughter. Kate is her like she controls easily five twelfths of the Quiet Council. Like she has essentially out- topped and proven her superior. Like she is the alpha over half the council at this point. Stephen, how are you feeling about you know now that we've digested Inferno? You know we have X lives, X deaths of Wolverine break before we start the Destiny of X. How are you feeling looking back on this entire era with what Inferno gave us as a bookend? Uh, well, I somebody mentioned earlier about some anxiety around this event and what it could mean for Krakoa, and I was definitely in that camp. I had a lot of anxiety going in because I did not want this to end. Um, I've mentioned it before, but I, this is like a total minority power fantasy, and I just don't want the ride to ever stop. So for me, it felt, while I did have a lot of anxiety going going in it felt natural the way that everything happened it felt like it felt like emma taking the reins and being at its core like of the story being at the core of the story i apologize felt like this is the culmination of how she's been built up throughout the marvel universe and taking her taking her rightful place as one of the top people in control of an entire section of the marvel universe just it felt correct um i i really appreciated how they took care of moira because that's something that everybody's been saying needed to happen is that she needed to be depowered and then killed but that didn't happen but at least like the depowering is as expected as it was it's something that that still felt normal to read like i want want to jump in right here because you use some words there right like it was expected and how it felt specifically in inferno 4 right for me this was a holy audible gasp when we got the death of moira act data page almost like it, it was designed to look like those back page previews of future series that we've been seeing um in all the titles over the last month like how did that hit you when you got to that holy fuck moment in inferno 4 I actually didn't fall for that. <laughs> I had a feeling that that was, I know, I, I had a feeling that it was more than it seemed just because we've seen Emma with that gun in Marauders. So I just assu- and I just assumed that that's what the gun was because they're not stupid. <laughs> they're not going to just end the end the universe, but I was still excited to read it. It was just it was just clearly to me like a red herring for like the beginning of the issue. I I enjoyed the entire thing. It was still an excellent read. It was very well done, but they're not going to reset the entire universe. But when you have Mystique and Destiny around, that's the beauty of it, is that that's a very real threat. That is a very real possibility. You know what I mean? Like, Mystique is that crazy random bitch that will... Mystique will burn the house down while she is still inside it. Exactly. Mystique will, Mystique will drive the car off the road to fuck with you, even if she's in it. She doesn't care. Roseman, Roseman Pike energy. <laughs> I actually think that that's extremely 
correct until you add Destiny. Then she takes all of her cues from Destiny. All of them. She is not going to do anything that Destiny does not want her to do. And especially now that she just got her back, she's especially going to be neutered. That's my personal opinion. It really gives it this extra edge of like Mystique had no idea, like she was just fucking rolling the dice on everything while she didn't have destiny in her life because her default is to turn to destiny and ask, what do I do? Correct. Correct. And that is exactly how she has always come off once Destiny was was out of the picture. She was extremely unhinged. Now this is a chance for writers to make her way more stable and have a plan, <laughs> mostly because Destiny will be giving her that plan. Uh, I know you guys are saying that Emma is in control of most of the council, and I do agree with that for the most part, but I do think that it is dangerous that an actual married couple is also on the council because that's a whole power dynamic that we don't know what that means for votes and and well another another married couple because i was about to say another married couple (laughs) because i screenshotted Uh, magneto and charles's interaction and they are married I mean, do I disagree? No, I absolutely agree with that. I just feel like we all know how writers are and how it's how they come in and, and take over. And there's such a queerness to it that doesn't always. No, but it's like a fantastic point because, you know, as I laid out that Emma has five right there, essentially you can give Mystique four very easy because Mystique and Destiny, it has been shown that Exodus as a true, and God, I love just the simple, slight, the little tiny things he did with Exodus because Exodus was not featured very much in this at all but just giving him this childlike fervor the true believer like the things he did with Exodus in his little tiny bits I loved so much but Exodus is all in and following Destiny as a true believer and you have Nightcrawler as you know you mentioned there's a married couple well there's also the married couple's son um you know you have the the Mystique family the Mystique family can be counted on for four votes more often than not which is pretty significant I, too. I don't think Kurt's going to Exodus, just blindly, I almost forgot about Exodus. Kurt's, Kurt's not just going to blindly vote with Mystique. Um, I don't think that's that's really too much of a danger. I agree with you. I love what he's done with Exodus. I love that Exodus's purpose is so clear and so pure and still open for exploitation. There's like still that danger of, of you know, a zealot there. Uh, but it feels more authentic and grounded in something virtuous than than it ever did. Yes, and look how easily and quickly he turned from telling campfire stories about the pretender to praising her to the kids in the final pages of Trial of Magneto 5. Like they are they are doing something with Exodus here that is is very interesting and I really hope we get some good focus on him in the future as well because he has been a he is a character that just has a as you mentioned kind of repurposed like has this role that is so unique um when it, when it comes to Exodus, he was almost better at building a mutant religion than Nightcrawler was this entire run. Like, he was the one preaching to the children, telling them the stories, telling them the mythos, and we didn't really get that at all in Way of X. Um, not that Way of X was bad, but I'm just saying that 
for what Way of X was set up to be, Exodus, that was really X's. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think Way of X is what Cy Spurrier set it up to be. I, I don't necessarily think that it is what the Crucible led us to believe our Nightcrawler story. Like, the Nightcrawler religion on Krakoa story that, you know, was kind of prepared and seeded for us in the Crucible and in the early issues of Hickman's X-Men and Hoxbox and such definitely could have been and should have been given to us with X. I think I did exactly what he wanted to do, but... Way of X, it was more of like a, a cerebral experience, you know, and like kind of other, or like astral plane. Yeah, because know, it was Psy. Whereas like... If it was any other writer, which, Legion exactly. could have been replaced with Exodus. Whereas Exodus is like literally like his namesake. He's like the Moses of, you know, Krakoa, right? He's leading the like religious, like like an actual well, religion. Not, I, I would say it's not so much religion as much as, and, and like, you know, the, one of the defining things of, of the Krakoan era is it's about the mutant culture, right? It's about the myth building, parables and, you know, life lessons wrapped in these, in these little tidy stories and the value that that has and how Exodus was neatly positioned as a character who is a believer you know that that's like what it says on the tin like that's that's how he was introduced and now what he believes in is different right kurt could have done something like this kurt could have easily been the guy telling stories by the campfire kurt's story was about him figuring out what his faith was right with kurt it's more like his own journey that he will share with you or you're on your journey and he'll walk with you a little bit with exodus it's more like Exodus is kind of like at the church. He's like the youth minister or whatever, right? He's he's there and it's he's going through the motions and he's part of the show and he's... Oh, no. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. All of that about the storytelling and, and everything that he did is, is about passing along the faith. It's about building the faith inside the next generation, which is what Exodus is doing because he had the faith to share. And I think it's a very interesting thing to kind of point out or bring up that Exodus should have been involved in way of X with these other stories about developing religion because what we saw from Nightcrawler was a lot of confusion. How to take religion, how to rediscover your faith in this new world. But Exodus had it all along. Exodus had been, hell, in the same issue, The Crucible, Exodus had the faith earlier on while Kurt's still wandering around asking Cyclops like stupid questions you know, and trying to figure out what the hell he's going to do with it. I think I should figure out how to do a new religion because what is faith? Meanwhile, Exodus is sitting over here already passing it on to the children. Exactly, exactly. And in myth- mythology and like in, in most religions, who passes on the religion to the next generation? It's the skulls, it's the bards, it's the people who are preaching the stories. So that to me is is who Exodus is. That is who, that is what his purpose is here. He, to me, is... I love the line that he had. uh, Of course, I know now I only ever believed in one thing, but I had to see the promised land before I truly understood who I was and what I want. Like, that just, that is just so perfect. Because, like you said, Exodus comes prepared with the faith and he's ready to go all in, even when he doesn't know exactly the details. Like, he he was all into Krakoa before he knew Krakoa existed. And that might just sound, you know, like, you know, like, like, like words uh, for someone else but with Exodus, it's true. It really is true for Exodus. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Krakoa over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hi, everyone. It's Juancho. You can find me on Twitter at Lost in Krakoa. Hey, guys. It's TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. Hello, it's me, Steve. You can find me on Twitter at howdyduda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. For me, 
you can get me places I don't want to go as a story passenger if you deliver it to me in the right way. Like you can trick me into cheering you on even if I don't like it. And I know that method. That method is about the right journey to the destination because I am a journeyman more than I'm a destinations guy, right? So if you can make the road taste good, I'm in, right? And I could accept a lot of the things that I did not care for about this because like, I'll be honest, solid B, but like a happy, solid, positive B, not, you know, Nothing here where I'm like, this is a D and I hate it. But like, it's not the exaltation I experienced after Hox Pox. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's not like I, I diminish the quality of, of this by not loving it as much. But like, if I had been given two more years or three more years, anything where I felt like I wasn't the person responsible for creating the emotional context for all of these payoffs in my head for Hickman... Right. Like, I feel like he relied on the strength of our fandom to tell the story in a lot of ways, which if you're going to quit quitter, quit quitter, if you're going to quit Twitter, what a way to recognize why you quit Twitter. Right. The the psycho intensity of fandom that I am super duper a part of, uh, you know, I sit there reading Devil's Reign and I change my Twitter status 16 times because I have so many reactions to Wilson and Matthew having so much trouble talking. Uh, so anyway, I think what I'm trying to say is it feels like even if I love the destination, which in this case I don't, it really is about like letting the story go to its own place. I just feel like you could have bought my happiness with a little bit more time. I really like that everybody who stars in this series, besides Doug and his polycule, <laughs> are, are bad people. It is heel on heel on heel in this. And it yep. is so fun for that because there really isn't somebody who's like good and right. They're, they're all bad people and they think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, they are all people who think they're doing the right thing. Except for Raven, who knows she's doing bad stuff. Well, she but, thinks she's doing what Destiny wants. I mean, and that's the other thing I didn't return to when we were talking about them, is at a certain point, she is just, mommy, I'm your tool. Like, they're a mutant circuit of like, this is the future, turn into the thing I need to stop it. As you know, I mean, I've been like massive fan of Moira for the past three years. I still think she's the most complex character in all of X-Men right now, even after her review, which is what I want to talk about. Yeah, even more so, yeah. I'm not sure exactly if this was a whole plan, you know. What's the point of Ten of Swords? Not the point of why Moira wanted that, but like why the office write that, you know? Yeah, that's beyond it. I just, I didn't think that Moira had much really to do with the Ten of Swords even happening. Yeah, right. I think um, she does because one of her life, she joins Apocalypse and his children. True, so. we did talk about that briefly. So my, my thing is, does Moira like wanted to join the ascendancy of the Dominion or the World Minds to go back in time and delete mutants from ever happening? Or like I've been stuck on what exactly Moira intends to do with the cure. So Wancho, I wondered about that too. So if this cure only works after she's born, so all that thousands or millions of mutants born before her are still mutants or just after her and things like that. I'm sad that it won't get explored by Hickman. Yeah, no, I completely agree. That's something that I really miss out on that Moira book for. That's there's so much to wonder and I don't know how much of that exact plan will actually get explored. I definitely have wondered if this was not the pl- Moira's plan until this book started having to be 
rewritten because he was going to leave. And if she was a more positive actor in Krakoa's future, um, as intended, had things continued. And I've wondered about the the all of the world mind stuff, all the stuff we found out about Dominions and all that, and how it relates to her reincarnation power. And I can't say definitively that I feel like this what this story was any intention that that Don of X started with. I think it was always the intention. At least my feeling of uh, Moira turning out to eventually fail in this way. Um, if only because I do feel like, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I mean, I guessed, but I feel like there were small hints throughout that Moira was acting not in the interest of Krakoa, but in her own survival throughout, like throughout the entire Dawn of X, Reign of X up, to, up till now. At least that has been my feeling. I've been suspicious about her for a long time. I was a big fan of her because of, you know, she's... She did so much for mutant kind, or so we thought. But you know, I started to wonder, and I started to see things, and I started to pick into them. And I don't know. I don't know. It's just uh, she has become the most interesting character in maybe X Men history, just for all of that. And it it feels to me almost unthinkable that this could be something that just came about when they had to create Inferno. At least at this point, why why have her be so petty about not bringing up back all precogs just to prevent Destiny's rebirth, just to prevent her own death? Like I don't know. That's it seems wild unless there was something more going on with her. Yeah, I think it's going to be very, not tragic, but sad. I mean, the Moyer book not happening is perhaps the biggest missed opportunity this era has had. We've filled out Moira's plan in our heads. We haven't seen it. I mean, Moira's, until Inferno, she appeared like three times in the whole, the whole Dawn of X and Reign of X. And yeah, it's, I don't like having to fill out so much important stuff, you know, because it's just endless speculation that goes nowhere. So I do need to bring up one of the strangest boomerang delights of the Hoxpox era. Now, this touches back to an era before anybody who's currently in the room was on the show. As a matter of fact, this touches back to a theory we had when there were only three people on the show. And we, for at this point, years, assumed there had to be more going on with Doug. And clearly there was some inconsistency and fall off in the treatment of Warlock as a surprise. And so it ultimately kind of didn't play out quite right. But early on, my theory has always been that Cypher should kind of be the most powerful person in all of the Marvel Universe. He should just speak the language of reality and just be done with it. And that should be what it is. And that's always been sort of my perspective on Cypher. He should just learn magic by learning to speak the language of magic. He should just learn weather. Like, it should just be what he does. And like, I mean that positively because everything that my poor Douglas has been through, whether it's in-universe or meta-fandom hatred, has led him to being someone who could be a Miracle Man-level meta-character right? And I really love that our earliest guess in all of Hoxpox was Doug is really at the heart of all of this, paid off in such a beautiful way. And I just want a big shout out to longest time Doug Stan ever, Kyle, for always loving Cypher more than the editors do. So how did you guys feel about Cypher, Warlock, Bay, the Bay, and the entirety of the, as you put it so beautifully, cipher polycule. 
big fan. I, I loved it. I mean, Saif was the MVP of this entire series, just with those few panels and the last issue when he revealed all his knowledge. And I think it's very important to me. Cypher is now the power, most powerful character in Krakoa. And Destiny and Mystique know this. And it'd be very interesting if they actually told the Quiet Council what happened with Doug. I'm, I'm not sure they did. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, I don't. It would depend on who stands to benefit, right? Because it's a, I think they feel humiliated that Doug beat them. And beat them very clearly, so I'm not sure, but yeah. If I was Raven, I'd be very, I'd be mad embarrassed. Yeah, like they all this plan, and then just this good boy with his big ass wife and big ass island and robot partner. <laughs> yeah, it's satisfying. It's really satisfying to see the guy who was so useless that the editors killed him because the fans wrote in that they wished he would die. It's just so nice to see him win. Destiny knows when she's beaten by Doug and doesn't get petty. She starts to reorganize around what she can see from here. It's Mystique that really can't handle having been beaten by Doug, like the weak one who we're all seeing now is completely not weak on top of being strong of spirit. He works collaboratively with the island because he's the only person that can speak to it. Nobody really understands what's going on with Warlock, including Mystique and Destiny, but it's huge. And he's got a hot, huge wife. Like it's mystique that doesn't see the potential in this amazing person that you were talking about. Um, she is like those people that wanted Doug to die because all he could do was speak languages as though that should be like better or worse than, or worse than any other mutant power. I uh, really enjoyed Doug doing all the, like, I don't know how to describe it other than like cool manga protagonist poses. <laughs> like <laughs> eyes down. Completely like, correct. <laughs> Hands in his pockets. It was just like, that was just being a little cool guy. <laughs> in a fabulous jacket. And that's like looking the part so that really cute. sells it. I want He's that looking, jacket so bad. So, I love him so much. I root for him so hard. Like, you know, I feel like Doug is like proof of Krakoan success. I just, he's, I don't know. I was definitely not a Doug lover as a kid. I thought he was too obsessed with Kate. And I just thought it was unattractive that your only personality trait is being obsessed with a girl who doesn't want you as a gay man. I understood what it felt like to be obsessed with people who would never want you. So I just didn't think Doug's inability to get past it was particularly attractive. And seeing the man they grew him into to separate him from Kate, to give him a well-developed sense of self, I'm just so proud that the ex-office took a character who was treated like such a joke and they've just they, they've turned him into a hero. And that's the magic of, that's, that's the explodey boy dream, isn't it? Aren't we <laughs> yep. all explodey boys? Boy, and isn't that always <laughs> the dream? Yeah. Yeah, Warlock, Warlock got to shine oh, a shitload too here. I just love the self-not friend. What, uh, that's the, like the sickest burn. The sickest burn of all time. <laughs> yeah. Got him. <laughs> and, and you know the fact that it only just occurred to me for the first time that Doug's team is a human earth mutant person and a rock hill and a phalanx. Like... He literally represents unity. The union. Unity. Yeah. yeah. His his yeah. squad rolls like mad. He's the unity squad. He really is. Yes. <laughs> Any Avengers <laughs> he's like thematically telling us this is the this is it. This is the one. <laughs> oh man. I just I can't get over how happy Warlock looks saying good luck, self not friend. I just love Warlock. Warlock represents I also love in that panel how smug Bay looks. Yes. Look at her smile. Just <laughs> 
Uh, good. This is a good transition because I want to talk about the art. Spectacular. Yeah. Uh, Valerio Shidi, my love. So incredible. Uh, Nimrod is so frightening. Nimrod has never been so terrifying before. Uh, there are so many great images of Nimrod just looking like the fucking robot devil. It is so crazy. Karima looks just unhinged. Magneto looks great. His hair looks amazing. It's pretty and good. It's like Valerio starts at like an 88. Like uh, like the first time you ever saw Valerio Skeety art, you were like, this is an 88 out of a possible 100. This person is already, wait, how? This is their first book? And then like now we're this far into his tenure on X-Men. And I'm like, he's dialed it up past 34. Like it is so out of control how I feel like I can see his growth in his work from sword to here. Speaking back on Ten of Swords, just just a, you know, a moment in time, it turns out, for the giant X-Men crossover. But, uh, you know, there's that panel on page 40 of 51. There's something about the way that I really love that they even were able to sneak in the space sort of massive perspective panel where you really get a sense of the depth and dimension that Skeety is able to portray in his art. It's just really masters of their craft doing a really spectacular job telling a moment of microcosmic importance in a macrocosm. It really carries how small and insignificant all of these characters are in the grand scheme of space, but how central and pivotal this moment really is. It's just spectacular. Yeah, the, the art here was great. I think my favorite part were the colors in the uh, Nimrod and Omega Sentinel fight with Charles and, yes. and Eric, like the reds. And like the cyborg, those look just incredible. Yeah, all the pinks and the glittering oranges. It's just, it's a hot battle, you know? Like, it's, there's so much intensity going on. The electric eyes are all like blue. David Correal really knocking it out of the park on that. Those scenes yeah, are astonishing. And speaking of that fight, Mega Sentinel and Nimrod just massacre all the humans. Yes. And I was. You hate them. <laughs> Because that's just as important going forward as machines hating mutants, that machines hate humans. It's very, very important because I see it like, were mutants and humans be forced to work together to defeat Nimrod? Maybe. And that's just a very fascinating idea that, that could get explored. You know, maybe, I'm not sure who can explore it, but some someone will, definitely. Could mutants and machines work together against humans? I know that the machines hate both of them because they both treat AI the same way. And that was really interesting to see. I do wonder if, you know, we do know that Hickman chose to leave when it became clear that he was not going to be able to keep his story as tightly as he would like. He perhaps reached the J. Michael Straczynski Thor point of, oh, I just found out that I'm no longer going to be in control of how this shapes out with the Marvel Universe at large. And I wonder if we're about to be in a position where it doesn't matter. Every book is about to be on deck for some sort of cosmic threat and you're not going to get to be humans anti-mutants for a minute because of whatever judgment war is going to be hmm. well i just want to bring up timeless because we do see <laughs> dominating in a possible future and a moon blowing up i know we think it's phobos what if it's not bad news for mutants all around but i don't want that steve i said no <laughs> hey, some of those features should not exist well, I hope. I don't want them. Hopefully the destruction of that Richard solved the problem. Yeah, but now we're getting the runaways. So, okay. Now, 
Here's here's the question. We have this stunning reflective piece that carries us out. And one of the things that makes this book so magic for me is the tireless dedication to retelling this sequence with dimension and perspective. I feel as though every time someone smugly stands crotch level with a crawling mutant and says to me my X-Men, we all get a little bit wiser, right? There's a little bit more haughty behind one of those words. And this ending, for me, is all the proof we need that Krakoa is not going anywhere anytime soon. This ending is too much work to not want to see the gears keep moving. And... I think if there was one real success of Inferno, it is this very powerful, dramatic reshaping of the Quiet Council with a stark piece of score playing in the background with a slow, dramatic camera pan. This is exquisite, and I'm a big fan. How did you guys feel about the power and dimension of Hickman's conclusive ending on the Quiet Council? I'll say I loved the writing. I thought it was gorgeous. I love the repeated motif of, to me, my X-Men. I love that it was Emma. I love the look on her face in both panels. I don't disagree with any of the choices that he's made, but the final sequence and sort of the reflection that it leaves us with broke my heart into a thousand pieces, and I really did not want it to do that. Yeah, rough ending, uh, especially since like, I don't know, this 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 whole series has been catastrophic, right? It's been a, tra- a tragedy. It has broken down our preconceptions about many characters and it's broken our hearts a number of times. But to end on the note of like locked inside high walls, it is, it is not looking good for the future of mutant kind or for the souls of any of these assembled people. Yeah, and I just don't want that. I mean, like, again, I love story and I love conflict. I get that it has to happen. I wish because the greater story of Krakoa is so important to so many people for so many reasons, I just wish the note hadn't been that bleak. I don't mind if it's complicated, and I don't mind if there are problematic elements, but that's rough. That's rough to read as a queer person who invests in Krakoa so much. Oh, absolutely. I'm right there with you. I don't want Krakoa to end at all like ever i don't think it should i think that would be lazy bad storytelling don't ever go back like fuck you don't it. bring but you don't it, bring in gillen to, to run it into the ground like you bring in gillen because you're investing and honestly like- gillen can run the quiet council into the ground like he can go right ahead with that i think it's a big institution to, from the start i've been mad about it from the beginning people will tell you but like that doesn't mean Krakoa has to go away, right? Just because you get rid of a state doesn't mean the nation founders. Yeah, I remember when I think X-Men 6 came out way back when we got the the whole reveal that Mystique was on her own mission in Hotspot, mm-hmm. an orchestration. Like, people actually believe that Mystique wanted to install democratic government on Krakoa. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never thought that that was exactly the case. I know she just wanted her wife back, which I think she deserved. Yeah, but no, the point is that I think it's very... The Quiet Council got even more complicated here than it was before. Yeah. Because they, they, they knew... I mean, the Quiet Council before was like a false Quiet Council, controlled by Moira, Charles, and, and Eric. But this time, they willingly, together, chose to hide the truth from Krakoa. Yes. So that makes them even more um, shady. And yeah, yeah Gillen's going to be very interesting, too. Yeah, exactly. 
But I, yeah, it was super bleak. Like TK said, it was very bleak. Like very Watchmen were locked in here with me, you know, something like that. And I'm not sure where it's going to go because Mortal X-Men, it says uh, Magneto's leaving the Quiet Council, like the immediate issue. So I'm not sure how, how locked in they are. God, I would hate to be the actual X-Men titled book and not one of the side titles after the end of Inferno, where it clearly leads directly into Immortal X-Men. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. Now, X-Men Unlimited has definitely been kind of a your results may vary sort of title, but for the most part, it has been an incredible ride with some unbelievable creative talents. Now, this next eight-issue clump, X-Men Unlimited Green, was a really interesting look at a complex topic, and we definitely had some opinions on the way it was handled and a lot of hope for these characters in the future. Guys, as always, we love making this show for you three times a week with Magic Mondays, X-Men X-Wednesdays, and Marvel Fanfare Fridays. So don't forget to tune in three times a week for all your favorite Marvel Comics discussion. And until next time, guys, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. It turns out Krakoa didn't burn down, and we'll see you next time. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting segment of X's for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, magic, and Marvel week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me online on Twitter at DazzlerAOA. I'm Steven, you can find me on Twitter at Steven of Wonder. that is Steven with a V. And I'm TK, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And I'm Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And uh, yeah, I also spell it with a V. <laughs> Spectacular. I think that makes me Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. And we hope you guys survive this experience, unlike my faith in the X Office's ability to deliver a story about environmental activism. We're talking about X Men Unlimited, the X Men Green Arc. So, this is brought to us by Gary Dugan, is our writer, our artist is Emilio Lasso, and our colorist is Rochelle Rosenberg. This is an interesting turn for an X Men story. And I don't know that it was necessarily approached in the most favorable way for either side. Where are we at with a story about mutants dealing with eco-terrorism? I think it was about as subtle as Garth Marenghi in places. <laughs> uh, on my second reread of it, I feel a lot more positively than I did initially when I was reading it. That's really funny because I had the opposite experience. Yeah, uh, I still don't really like it. I think it's an interesting idea that will probably be picked up on in the future when X-Men Green Returns, and I think in the hands of another writer, it could have the nuance and subtlety that it deserves as a complicated issue and one that is important to most people reading these comics. I think the art is great. I think it's a lot of fun to look at. Rochelle Rosenberg's colors are extremely vivid, beautiful, lively. I shouldn't get sore on boners, but I got sore on boners. Sauron is a lot of fun, as is Black Mamba in this, actually. so good. I should have known you were a Black Mamba fan with me. I should have known. I've never read her before. Seriously? Oh, she's amazing. She's so good. I haven't read her either, and I really loved her in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's great. Uh, My only thing
thing is that Curse is awful. Curse is so annoying. Oh, so Curse bad. is like Curse is literally like a caricature of like a black metal fan in such a way that I personally hate. Like it is it is very unfortunate and uh, super annoying. I just want her to go away every time she's on panel and does not help my enjoyment of the series. Yeah. I lived in my Tool and Nine Inch Nails t-shirts for a good portion of my youth. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, my Tory stuff and, and you know, Maggie. <laughs> but I wore a lot of eyeliner. It was a decision I made. And I I want to pick on Curse. I'm like suddenly okay with bullying. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Curse, Curse just sucks. Like, yeah. it's, yeah, like Doom and Gloom is cool and Satan's pretty rad and like all of that is cool. <laughs> But Curse is just genuinely evil. Not like for the coolness or the occultness of it. Curse just like sucks. And And it's it's odd that nobody else is like, there's no red flags for anybody. It was just literally the actions of the arc. Like nobody was like, this is a problematic child that we need to do something with. She's just running around the island. Xavier several times is like, Curse is pure evil though. And we got to do something about that. And then I was like, what? I mean, (laughs) why didn't you do it before, dude? A child pure evil is so weird from an oh, X-Men yeah. comic that is like so outside the range of X-Men. Yep. It's so strange yeah. for Xavier to comment about a young woman and not want to do something awkwardly inappropriate. Uh, and like, I really trust Xavier's judgment at this point as to who's pure evil. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Nature Girl, I get a little bit more this time around. But. When I started reading this, I really got excited about it because of Nature Girl, because she has not gotten the spotlight that she deserves. And I kept thinking like here we go nature girl story then it was just like oh she's just a murderer right oh right. we're yeah. taking this even further oh oh oh, oh. okay and then so it was you. just done yeah like i wanted nature girl i wanted dark nature girl saga and what i got like removed all agency and intelligence from nature girl's character like she just seems stupid in this series and that sucks yeah, yeah. nature the fact that we the the opening move is stab what is obviously an innocent person in the scheme of what she's worried about in the neck. A grocery yeah. store manager who's not responsible for whoever dropped a bag in the ocean. I mean, right, exactly. Like, oh man, we're all angry, but like blowing up an oil refinery is not the most environmentally friendly way to. No, stop. it's going to kill so many more animals. Oh my god, yeah. you're bad at your job. And just and look, what, look what uh, it did to Zoran's lab too. I mean, come on. <laughs> yes. Hey, can we talk about that for? second how yep. did Soran's abs did, let's talk about Soran's abs how, no, how did leakage <laughs> break all of his glass tubes I <laughs> I was really confused by that part myself it just <laughs> felt like a really kind of lackluster out of the blue tool to get him inserted into the storyline yeah and it's got all of the comedy markings of like a Deadpool feature it uh, did yeah I keep bringing up, which, honestly like this kind of comedy I like I get it uh, i get that it exists to be extremely cartoony so like when sauron shows up and is like a complete buffoon like that's in character but then like i'm also being asked to like alternately take lynn seriously as a magneto like and protagonist who's supposed to be righteously vengeful but also like obviously bad at this and not thinking at all i think they wanted to go in almost a poison ivy kind of direction with her and then they I'm not sure if I'm the only person who feels this way, but like I feel like she kind of has a little bit of a Hella vibe, Hell vibe going on right now. With the, no, look, yeah, the look, look, yeah, yeah. And so I'm not sure if that's supposed to mean anything either. I it was like Furiosa and <laughs> Hella. I could see Furiosa with Nature Girl as a character 
who like this is not the character I fell in love with when I was reading Generation X and went back and read more of, you know, Age of X-Men. That character was amazing. That character was so caring and kind and she she wanted everything to, you know, get better. But this character that we're presented with is it's not the same character at all. Has anybody else have a good history with Lynn Ling to notice that? Or, you know, is this is, is Nature Girl a blank slate to a lot of you? I'm not the most familiar with her, but it definitely reads as a more new character. I kind of wonder if, like, he was trying to say that she had this pent up because of how long she's been feeling this way. I came into Nature Girl way late. I read her way after the fact in Gen X, and so I had no idea who Nature Girl was. It was such a one-of-a-kind voice. This is just not the next step I would have wanted for her. No. Yeah, I think that's the perfect summation of everything. I, I also read Gen X at the time, loved it, thought this was a really promising character and i don't even dislike the idea of this arc i love a dark willow arc you know i love to see the nerd go bad and there are a lot of ways in which the rage makes sense and the the character going dark physically and the changes all i think could have worked and could have been justified in a way that made them really exciting but again we start off with her stabbing a man in the neck yeah. and that's you know just She's an Xavier school. So, you know, she is not some like idiot, like looking for a thrill. Like this is a, this is a, somebody who ought to be, we would expect to be really good at identifying who the bad guys are and at least having a plan that goes after them, even if she's totally unsuccessful, but going dark in this way is just like, it's sad and it's shitty. And it's just like, it's character assassination. I completely agree with everything you just said, TK. Like 100%. That is exactly how I feel about this series. They want us to buy her as a very Magneto-like figure, you know, but I don't remember Magneto ever walking into a retail store and murdering <laughs> the manager with like a pair of scissors just because he was having a bad day. Like, you know? I want the purple cape fasteners! <laughs> like, when he the Leningrad and I'm defending him sinking the Leningrad, those were like, you know, active duty military. Like, say what you will about the rest of it, but those were combatants for him. Like, right. Lin Lee, this is so out of control. And like, obviously, I've been told many times by people on Twitter about this, like, they're like, obviously, the story knows that she's wrong to do this. And I'm like, yes, okay, but why? Why tell a story about an eco terrorist who's stupid and wrong? Yeah. Like, what, what, what cultural current is being felt out here that, that, that this is the story? And on my second reread, I can be a little bit more generous and more charitable about it. I'll be completely frank. I don't think Jerry has the nuance for this kind of thing. Mr. Douglas. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But like, this being outside of the range of what I think of as the author's range that I'm, ex- that I expect. Um, I can look at the story and be like, okay, this is a story about how environmental justice is necessary and that it is incorrect to go about it on small scale, killing working people like pipe workers. And like, I get that that's the story that wants to be told, but it's so clumsy and clunky and awkward. And like, there's a literally a an oil worker who jumps at them with a with a wrench, screaming, "We get bonuses for breaking hippie skulls!" Like, <laughs> fuck you, man. Value my intelligence as a reader. I mean, this might be for kids, but then it's a weirdly tonally deaf. Story, yeah, yeah. You know, like it doesn't make any sense. Absolutely, I can uh, see that. And that's not a personal fucking. I don't want to be harassing the ex office here. This is an opportunity for a unique character with a power 
set that speaks to something to you know to to create that discussion there are ways that she could have been wrong too that just like would have been okay with me yeah totally yeah you know burning down the oil refinery and not killing any of the low rent workers like the people who are just like doing the jobs yeah, i guess their pets movie. are just gonna starve to death in their apartments i know okay okay that brings me to a point i really want to like bring up so like the dog okay the dog the use of the dog was, was cute i like that renoa like, in this piece but like sure. oh. why is nature girl pitting animals against wolverine knowing right. that they're gonna I definitely get think hurt. she hoped that he was not going to fight a bear and a dog but apparently <laughs> Bitch, have you read his chronology? <laughs> I, fighting bears is a Tuesday! <laughs> no, fighting so, bears is a thing he doesn't do. He only murders sharks. He kills hunters for fucking with bears. He'll oh, wrestle yeah. bears. He'll never kill one, but he'll fight the bear. I definitely thought it was it was a little crazed for her to send the bear and such at him, but then when she lost her hair, I was like, oh, and she was looking like hella. I was like, oh my gosh, maybe she's possessed, but that was not the case. That was a hella reach. <laughs> Those are some sharp antlers, like razor blades. Yeah. I didn't actually expect that. They They looked very blunt on the end yeah Yeah. and that's a great metaphor because (laughs) the best reviewed piece of jerry dugan work on this network is hands down savage avengers it is something that we covered the first three trades of and we loved it a lot on this show and the thing we loved the most is that the actual plot of the book is that cool on gath is going around collecting buckets of blood (laughs) and Honestly, that sounds more fun. It is. It's amazing. It's the best book. You have to go out and pick it up. It's not on Marvel Unlimited because it's a mature title. It's it's so good. I've got it. It's, I've got it. I'll let you read it. Okay. It's really <laughs> excellent. And the th- and Mike Diodato will go through an entire marker on a single page. And I love that he does that. Um, oh my God, I love Diodato. So I think about how my big problem with Bendis outing Iceman is Oof. the irony that we should have seen it coming. His biggest story before that was outing Daredevil. Why didn't we see that somebody who thought the word outing and using a closet metaphor for homosexuality in superheroics, why didn't we see that that would not have been the right fit? Jerry Dugan is a very terrific writer when it comes to showing the complex nuances of people with complicated pasts. Murdering other people. But Yeah, but I don't think he shapes it now is exactly the thing. Like, oh, you've already done a murders? Oh, okay, well, we can make you better. Oh, you're about to do a murders? Mm Mm-mm. You're a bad bitch. You got to go hang out with Rihanna. Like, there's just nowhere else to take it. Mm, okay, so in this in this whole allegory, to, just to bring it back, please the do. Antlers are the opposite of this story by Jerry Duggan, in which uh, they appear to be blunt, but are in fact cutting. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Thank you, Steve. I don't know what I would do without you. Thank what you. you. <laughs> That's exactly what you meant the whole time. I'm gonna go sit with my buckets of blood. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that is a fun series. It's just the use of Nature Girl. She learned under Wolverine. Like, she knows that Wolverine is gonna fight the fucking bear. Like, and Wolverine probably would have gotten mad and got the dogs too. But like, uh, just like that just seems so contrary to her mission and her goal. It's just, it's so all over the place. And I, what is the, what is the moral we're supposed to get out of this story? Like, do any of y'all know? Well, the one thing I will say is I think there is a significance to the fact that Krakoa let her go. 
Yes. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, while I do think that there a lot of what the story is saying is that she was wrong and it shouldn't have said that. And, and if it was going to, it should have found a better way to say that. The fact that she, that Doug and Krakoa let her go points to the idea that maybe if not dug in directly, somebody at the X office knows that, you know, Nature Girl made some valid points and deserved to be a force acting on behalf of the Earth. In some ways, on behalf of Krakoa, because Krakoa is part of this Earth. You know, the fact that that's the note that we left on gives me hope, A, that this story could continue with a writer who wants to rectify some of what happened and continue with the idea that an activist X-Man who's connected to nature could be a really powerful person. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. May Zeb Wells or Zach Thompson get it. Yeah. yeah. We get a lot of interesting choices for side characters brought in. Doug plays a big part. Pyro, Egg, or Gold Balls. And then we've got a really interesting choice of D-list supervillains being brought in with Black Mamba, who is fucking phenomenal. And Sauron, who, uh, I mean, this is the guy who just, this is the guy who wants to turn people into dinosaurs and not cure cancer. So, like, uh. But sexy dinosaurs. This comic almost makes reference to that. Yeah. It does say he could cure himself, but he doesn't want to, because we all know what he wants to do. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I did think uh, that once Sauron entered the picture, and with Black Mamba, that it did become a little bit more chaotic than I was hoping for. <laughs> And there was more green than necessary, that's for sure. <laughs> it was Absolutely. A I was, there was just so much, but also so little going on that I really didn't know where to put my attention. Like, it was just it was just so crazy for a little bit. I did really love uh, Black Mamba and, um, <laughs> and Sauron's like, little hypnosis off, though. Calling, calling themselves sapiosexual, which I really kind of love, to be honest. Like, that was so adorable. <laughs> I know. I need to see their second date now. Absolutely. Um, uh, they're just going to go fuck in the air, like, over the gutter well, somewhere. I mean, there is a panel here where Black Mamba's labia might as well be hanging out because that's, like... Standard. Her... Standard. Right, exactly. So I think they really could just go for it immediately. <laughs> she She's uh, a Captain America character, and she has some interesting history with my precious Wade. So I... Oh, my precious <laughs> Wade and his inability to stop trying to insert himself into female mercenaries' lives. He's <laughs> Just got to get it together. That's but, why she, you added the word lives, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because if it's other things, I wouldn't apply a gender. So he he just wants to be their gal pal. He always sees himself as ready to be their Dorothy. Like, he's always ready to join your Golden Girls squad if you're a team of female mercenaries. Yeah, but he's Rose. But Deadpool is Rose. He's not Dorothy. Come on. But I think he thinks he's smart. I really like Pyro in this issue. Can we talk about Pyro for a yes, second? Let's talk about so Pyro was amazing. He's well, great. this whole opening thing is so cute. Like just the idea that people hang out in Krakoa He's and sit on the beach and He's play music. Krakoa. It's just so. I mean, like I love little moments. Like little moments like that in the whole Krakoan era are what really make the whole thing feel so alive to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really dug it. It was nice to see, and I'm actually really sorry for people who aren't enjoying this era. Yeah. 
it's because yeah. they cannot and they they seem to not be able to enjoy these little character moments i mean these are always the best issues of x-men for me are the things where like we see people just chilling out i mean for a lot of people it's the baseball games for me it's pyro just like tenderly looking down at his arm guitar and being like i wonder if krakoa will like this jam and you getting know, really like, excited over a sea turtle yes and he's with like yeah. gold balls like the the uh, that the fact <laughs> that like those are the people that are hanging out that day it's just another like you know it it to me it justifies this whole fucking experiment on this island like that you would put these two characters together yeah like all of them really i really love seeing like this weird mixture of characters because it really does speak to what krakoa is supposed to represent like bringing all of all of them together and it was because it just felt like a mishmash but it felt like a mishmash that like made sense and worked the ending right the ending sucked why would you put (laughs) (laughs) wow okay (laughs) (laughs) the ending of this is this arc so I get why Doug would maybe want nature girls to try to go free, but why would they let curse out? Come on, fuck. Yeah, that actually makes no sense. <laughs> I just love you. Come on, fuck. Why would they let her out? It's so terrible. Yeah, I know. When she was like, uh, Doug's in here, hell's so boring. And I'm just like, would you we get it? You're so edgy. Oh my god. <laughs> Christ. And when the dog's there, they're like, oh god, they put a dog in the hole too? Come on. <sighs> <sighs> Was there anything you guys did like about it? Yeah, I really liked Emilio Lazio on this. Uh, the, I think the art was fantastic. Oh, I think I was... Some, of the, some of the panel transitions do not work for the medium, but it, I get it. It's hard. It's new. You're a pioneer. really enjoyed the art on this. I thought it was uh, suited the cartoony style of Jerry Duggan's yeah. cartoony writing. Emma looks a little bit like uh, St- Stefano Caselli's work. It definitely reminds me of some of the great work on Marauders on Emma. And, you know, it's great having that through line of Jerry writing him writing her still yeah i did feel like that came out of nowhere though oh it I was like you know, jerry just likes writing her yeah emma frost yeah. here getting served and i'm like emma frost is supposed to be here serving what's right yeah, yeah i agree with that i was a little jarred that she was so gung-ho before uh nature girl was back on the island to put her in the hole it, that yeah. actually didn't even feel very emma to me yeah. no that's right because it's a kid absolutely it's one of her students right exactly yeah. i mean logan felt in character logan <laughs> absolutely yeah. felt in character Yes, I would he didn't want to fight the bear. He didn't want to fight the dogs. That's the Logan I know. He didn't even really want to fight his student. He was almost like you fucking kid. Every couple of weeks, an Xavier's headmaster or professor is going to try to kill everybody. It's just going to happen, yeah. right? And it's like this joke that I make with Nathan sometimes, which is like, I know when I'm editing an episode, I need to do the things that make my life easier because I know there's stuff I have to do no matter what, right? Like there's certain things that are like you go in and you like fi- like I take out how many times I say like, right? Yeah. That's something I do, which means I need to know to mute myself other times because I know there are hurdles in the regular occurrence of my life that I can't get around. I try to do the things that I can do to make my life better, no matter what. Every couple of months, probably sometime starting in July, it'll probably calm down in like October, somebody's going to get the Phoenix Force and kill everybody. (laughs) And that's just going to be what they do, right? And Logan seems to be at this place where he's like, guys, we finally have Krakoa. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. know that half of the team is going to go evil any minute. Why are you guys out here making nonsense? Because you know we're going to stop you. You know at worst, all you're going to do is be another thing that haunts me. What do you get from this? And like, he's just so frustrated. That's my Logan. 
I'd love to say something nice about the series. I think that the one of my favorite parts was just the part where they're all arguing and then everybody stops because you hear the snicked and Logan just says, usually the sound of the claws popping is enough. Do you want to go any further with this? I thought that was nice. That was a good one. Yeah, that was really yeah. great. The thing I would say I liked about it, and I said this earlier, it's just the idea. Like the idea that, you know, we have this special medium that we're doing something with. Let's feature a unseen, not unseen, but a character that has not gotten enough airtime. And let's do like a cool story that relates to the nature, no pun intended, of her power. <laughs> that setup, hell yeah, I'm so on board for it. That is everything that I want. The execution just killed me. I loved Nature Girl talking about when she walked on Arako and not feeling the connection with the land as much. I thought that was something that kind of made sense for the character. And maybe yeah. that sort of, sort of explains why she went so overboard with her killing of innocent people. Um, and I, I have to say, like, whereas I hated Curse, I love Sauron. And when Sauron says, I would never, being bad is fun. I was like, holy shit, I love this. Somehow that worked better than every line of Curse dialogue. Like, yeah. Curse's dialogue was basically just that, but it, it works coming from Sauron. Because Sauron is fucking goofy. And yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, the thing I loved about that Sauron line is that it sounded like a line from The Descendants. Like, mm -hmm. there's so many... Oh, the, the Disney movies, not the not the George I, Clooney thing. I just needed to s clarify. Clear, no, that was... I, I took me a second. Yeah. I, um, I, I actually knew exactly what you were saying. <laughs> so many ways to be wicked we love being evil everybody do a dark spell or whatever and then do a high kick and dance with your, <laughs> your romantic partner and then have scenes with the good guys and don't actually hurt anybody right like sauron's a lot of fun like that yeah. he, he's very bird man like you know like he's so silly <laughs> He's also great because he's a little bit of a blank slate. Like the silliness is kind of baked into the idea of this dinosaur man. But for the most part, if a writer wants to do something in particular with him, it's not really going to shake anything up. There's no big villain mythos that people are going to be like, but my investment in Sauron, like you can just kind of do whatever. Actually, I, I was going to ask, uh, was he always a telekinetic? Because that took me by surprise. I thought that was surprising too. I know about the hypnotism, but I forgot about the telekinetic i don't he know just, if it ever existed it might have uh either way it was really funny here i think it's yeah. you know where people forget about rachel's abilities so leah williams reminded us maybe this is an early ability of sauron's either way extremely funny yeah because <laughs> yeah. like i don't mean it mean but like i don't care i, if, yeah. if, I don't care i don't have I, just, I don't you could even tell me that he's got like weird new like i can control volcanoes from wherever i'm just all about tacking on any power to him so i was just really curious because i want him to be the most powerful pterodactyl that there ever is <laughs> yeah and for some reason it's just even funnier to think that he's just not used these abilities a long time or has forgotten that he had them for a bit like i don't know funny but it is did you call him a terror pterodactyl pterodactyl <laughs> and, and is it only powerful enough to lift the gun like i want to know like i know nico doesn't care i want to know i want to know all the answers to these questions 
because Wait, he like, he might be my new Monet. Yeah, is, is it like when Bentley oh had TK and she couldn't like pick up a dime, but she could like crush a mountain? Or like, what is it? What's going on? Yeah, I like that he just like gulps down people and animals as, yes. and arms. No it's very funny. Yeah, funny. I mean, you guys are on series. So I actually kind of like Curse, but I also like Curse because I like what her story could be because they they go into a little bit about her abilities and that doing good things actually hurts her so i'm wondering if like her powers are shaping her personality almost like how empaths kind of do that to him yeah i assumed that as well yeah. from that one line of dialogue uh although she does seem very enthusiastic about the idea of evil if not actually doing it she was smiling on Sauron. She was smiling on the pterodactyls. Like, you would have think that would have fucked her up then. <laughs> well, I'm wondering how much of that is naivety or um, maybe just her being, like, 12. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's an unflattering caricature of a child who's into metal. <clears throat> Curse isn't a person who's like, oh, yeah, hail Satan, skulls are cool, metal. Curse isn't that. Curse is, like, bizarro for evil. Like... <laughs> Because it's just like, yeah, evil, good, good, bad. Like, it's fucking... <laughs> so, go, going into this episode, I actually liked this storyline, with the exception of, like, oh, just how batshit crazy everything got in the middle. But even that, I still enjoyed. I just didn't know what the hell to focus on. Mm. But I can see the points that you guys have made, and I do genuinely agree. It It is... <laughs> As long as we've shamed you out of your opinion. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Your point of view was, was taken, and I accept it. <laughs> on the flip side of that, I feel kind of the inverse of that, where I came into this expecting everybody to kind of dump on this. I agree that with your point that it is enjoyable a lot of the time, especially if I turn off my off my brain and critical capacities. Laughed out loud yeah. at several parts. The art is great. I really enjoy it. I think it has a lot of great potential, like you keep saying there's so Absolutely. much that could be good and yeah it ultimately for me but i enjoyed this a lot more than the yeah first this could have been a really good story if it had not been about nature girl and had been about a problematic fave on krakoa totally. that you could be like oh of course that idiot thought that the way to deal with eco terror like with like there are plenty of like idiot people on krakoa who you can be like i could see them totally doing something incredibly stupid stupid and and going down this whole path and then you know you add that to like keep curse the exact same way she is but have a few more references to the fact that she is awful within the text and then all of it just could be this hilarious like madcap krakoan tries to do activism and instead does terrorism yeah, but it's not that you know it, it does a hatchet job on nature girl like if you love nature girl don't read it because you're gonna just gonna like fuck you up but like it's got some really fun moments and you know there's some good cameos and Sauron is a fucking blast in it so yeah this is not even close to my least favorite story in the Krakoan era X-Men Green, any final thought? I want to bang Sauron. That's about it. Mm, I hope really? I I mean, I'm shocked to hear you say that. Yeah, he's just real <laughs> funny and real sexy and real dopey. I mean, I hope that the whole dinosaur suit comes off and there's just like a hot dude in there, but like, I'll settle for whatever. There's a hot dude on the outside of that pterodactyl. Yeah, there is. I just yeah. didn't want to have to put that out there for the world to know about my search history. Now they know. <laughs> Uh, I hope Curse never comes back. Same. Oh, you know she's gonna. I know. Oh. 
I know it. They should just join Strange Academy. No, 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 no. Keep them out of Strange Academy. That's a great book. No. That's not You just went after our most sacred thing on this network. I've been holding that in for a little bit. I was just waiting for Leave my children alone. (laughs) I love Strange Academy, but I would not hate to see a more toned-down version of Curse in there. No, 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 no. I would love for... Just a sous-son. Just a little bit. I would love to see... Actually, you know what? I would like to see that, too. I'm into that. Um, I would also like to see the return of Nature Girl in a way that leads to her becoming an eco-warrior, but in the vein of her X-Men character when she was in Age of X-Men. Absolutely. Um, Hell yeah. First of all, I love that costume. I think it's phenomenal. Um, And second of all, she deserves the prominence of being like one of the big heroes of the world, especially in a time that needs somebody who speaks for the trees, so to speak, even if even if that speech is violent. Honestly, I'm here for it as long as it like is handled a little bit better. I'm still a thousand percent convinced that they're going to say that she's being possessed by hell. Okay. I hope I'll take it. And then, so, like, I would just say my final thoughts are, like, I hope if this story gets picked up, that it gets picked up by somebody with a little bit more sensitivity. Like, if we're gonna have, if we're gonna have a book or a storyline about the perils and benefits of, you know, being an eco-warrior, like, I, it's, it's, this is just not the story.